0: So let us pray, and while our wonderful IT team is working to get the PowerPoint up, uh, we at least can do the review. Uh, you can ask any questions you may think of. Uh, no guarantee that the answers will come. Hopefully answers will come somewhere through the process of our class, so let us pray. Father God, we are grateful for this opportunity once again to open your word. As we look through the book of Leviticus, as we look at your holiness, your majesty, your goodness, we ask that you give us grace, Pray that you instruct us, open our eyes, that we may see the beauty of your majesty and give glory to you. Amen. So, from the study of Leviticus so far, who can tell me what is the key truth, key theme, key word that we're trying to learn? Holiness. Anybody else? Thank you. That's, that's, that's exactly the, the truth that we want to learn. As we think about holiness of God, and I have some slides here um, what do you think about when you, when you consider holiness, or you try to explain holiness to maybe first-grader? How many of you had a conversation with first-grader explaining them holiness? Okay? Would you like to share? What was your conversation? Okay, be set apart from sin. Perfect. Anybody else would like to uh, add to the, uh, just the understanding of holiness? How many of you read or listened to the book The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul? Just, just a few of you. This is a wonderful resource. If you have an opportunity, you can either listen to, to the book or, or you can uh, read it. But Dr. Arsus Prohl, he expands on the holiness of God and helps us to understand and really to first when we come into the presence of god to come in awe understanding that he is far superior majestic and glorious and that's on the other hand uh, he helps us to understand that we may properly worship him so book of leviticus is really the manual for holiness and as uh, as god was giving instruction to moses uh, this is really key phrase in the book of leviticus and he called I was listening to some sermons on on Leviticus. It's very interesting, not many out there. But as I was listening, one of the preachers, uh, Dr. Albert Muller, he he mentioned, I thought that when you think about the the whole worship system in the ancient world, it seems like we find, and even true today, uh, I think Brother Derek shared uh, that there are spiritual gurus who receive a special insight how to bring people to God. When it comes to worship of true and living God, God himself reveals and reveals to everyone. So the book of Leviticus was really the first book when children would go to adventure club, they would start with the book of Leviticus. Or if they go to Sunday school, that was the first book they would read because it has so many illustrations and pictures and repetitions. God does not hold back the secrets how he should be approached. It is not the book for the Levites or for the priests, for special castes or a group of people. This is a book that is given to everyone, that we may know how we can come into his presence. So God, he called and the Lord said to Moses, um, now the the truth, the key theme or key word as we mentioned is holiness and the purpose of the book. As we think about uh, the book of Leviticus, it was given in the course of one month, Uh, Well, people of Israel were at Sinai, so they are 11 months at Sinai, and they receive Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus. Now, people of Israel are not going to stay at Sinai. Where are they heading to? They're heading to the promised land. So this is the, uh, the leaving out of Leviticus, of the book of Leviticus, will take place really in Promised Land. That's the whole design and the whole purpose for this book. So God instructs and teaches people of Israel how they are to be as holy nation, holy people set aside for Him and really to be um, the vehicle of blessing to other nations. Because other nations, are they they religious or not? They are very deeply religious. They're like people in Pacific Northwest, or in Pacific Coast, or people anywhere in the world. Because people are just super religious. Some of them practice religiosity in the gym. You know, they do the yoga meditation. Uh, they look into, or they cast things out. I'm not quite sure what they do, but it hurts. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, so God prepares people of Israel to be the witness to other nations. And what will happen as we read uh, the, the history and the, really the story of uh, Israel and the prophets they, they fail and they fail and they fail. And their blessing or their high points would come when they truly implement worship. So it's interesting that uh, even though Leviticus deals with religious aspect, it has complete implication for social life, for political life, uh, for individual, for family, for society. Uh, how do we treat neighbors. So all these questions the book of Leviticus really presents to us. So God is uh, preparing people of Israel. He is providing to them this instruction and manual. And just a few, uh, few thoughts on the wholeness of God. Um, so Jonathan Edwards, he he wrote, wholeness is more than a mere attribute of God. So when we think about wholeness of God, it's not just one of his attributes. It is the sum of all his attributes. The outshining of all that God is. Um, Which attribute or which quality of God is really stated in the scripture in a repetitive way? Is there a passage you can think about where it says holy, holy, holy? Isaiah 6, Revelation. And so... Is there any other characteristics or attributes of God that would be repeated in the same manner? God is love, love, love. No. They're all true of God, yet wholeness is emphasized. And when, when the Hebrew Bible repeats it three times, it's really uh, comparative uh, superlative, okay? There is no comparative superlative in the Hebrew, so he just stacks the words to make an emphasis. Some of you learn the name, Stephen Sharnock, he was one of the Puritans from 16th century. Um, if you ever read Stephen Sharnock, he liked, he really wrote, so his volume's normal, like 600 pages. Um, really, uh, had an opportunity to think about it. And Holiness uh, is God's beauty and glory. When God would be drawn as much as he can be, he's drawn in his attribute of holiness. Power is in his hand, omniscience in his eyes, mercy in his bowels, but holiness is his beauty. And as we've studied so far in various passages in Exodus and Leviticus, uh, really God's presence marks or whatever God would touch, that becomes holy. Uh, For instance, when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, uh, it's a holy ground or tabernacle that would have both holy and the holy of holies chambers uh, pri- priestly crown which says holy unto the Lord. Uh, the holy objects would be set apart for specific purpose and worship both within tabernacle and within temple. Zion, it is the place that God designated his holy mountain and his holy temple. So as, uh, just, as, just a, as a repetition and really to put in the notes for your future reference, uh, when we think about holiness of God Jason, would you be so kind to read this passage in Isaiah 57, 15?
1: Uh, for thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, and whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place, and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit, in order to revive the spirit
0: of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. Yeah, so notice that God lives apart, he's away from creation, he's separated, he's dist- he, he is not like creation. Uh, Ryan, could you please read the uh, next passage? This is the message we have heard him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So, so we said so far that God is unique, unlike the creation, and on the other hand, holiness also means God is pure. God is sinless. There is no sin in Him. So the analogy that John uses: God is light, and in Him there is no darkness. There is no impurity in God, in His character, in His being. So if God is holy, what is the proper response from mankind? To be holy. Heaven, holy. Okay. And worship. His holiness demands our worship. So really, these this, this are the quotes from John Armstrong. Uh, this is his article, What Makes God So Totally Different. And he said that God's wholeness demands our worship. We dare not worship him as we please, but rather as he ordained. Uh, this week I had a conversation with uh, uh, one of the, one of the fellows, I guess, he's a fellow Russian, um, it's, so he mentioned where, where, what church he goes and uh, It is uh, one of the churches in Bellevue. And I provided him feedback, kind of I learned about the church and he said, uh, but, but don't, don't, don't criticize so harsh. You know, there are people that change change and I've seen the people change and there is a, a life and uh, you know, it doesn't matter what pastor preaches and what he believes, it's, it's secondary. You know, I have my own convictions, but I see the life in the church. So I was, I was wondering, um, when we think about worship, and, and here uh, the author John Armstrong, John Armstrong clearly states, when we think about worship, and when we think about life in the church, life in the community that's set apart for God, we do not write rules. Even though it may seem like things are happening, a life is happening, But if it's contrary to God's word, it is not worship. People may be as deeply sincere in their religion and they may be sincerely wrong. Worship calls us to know the truth and to live the truth. And this is exactly what the book of Leviticus really is a manual for Israelites and we will see the implications for us today. Just quickly, As we think about the outline of the book of Leviticus, it has two major points. The way to God is through appropriate worship. In chapters 1 through 16, it would be through enjoying God's presence as we learn various sacrifices and offerings. Entering God's service. Um, So enjoying God's presence we'll cover today and next week. Entering God's presence is really the ministry of priests as they are uh, consecrated, um, and they began their ministry in the tabernacle, so we'll cover the week after. And then encountering God's design, uh, chapters 11, 15 really speaks about various practical issues that deal with what is clean and what is unclean, uh, what is impure, what is uh, detestable. And the final section will be ensuring God's forgiveness. This is when probably um, either at the end of the month we'll cover. Uh, this chapter deals with Day of Atonement. This is the highlight of uh, Jewish calendar. This is when they can receive forgiveness and be, make things right with God. And second uh, section of the book of Leviticus deals, well, how do we approach God and then how do we walk with God in a obedient lifestyle as he dwells among his people. So we'll be enacting his word and enamored by God's grace. So um, this is where the book of Leviticus is given. Uh, when Israel is at the Mount Sinai and they finished building the tabernacle and God has spoken from where in the tabernacle? Anybody on the, from this side? From Holy Holies, thank you. We will pretend that the answer came from here. Uh, Yes, absolutely. So uh, Israel built a tabernacle. Exodus 40 tells us that the glory of God dwelled holy, uh, the tabernacle. Nobody could come in. So now God speaks as he resides above the mercy seat from the holy of Holies and he speaks to Moses and Moses communicates to the people of Israel. It's very interesting that the modern scholarship maybe not even so modern, probably over the last couple hundred years, uh, so-called biblical scholars, they read very clear words, and Lord said to Moses, and they wonder, hmm, I wonder who wrote the book of Leviticus. Uh, I think first graders, even though they do not have PhD scholarships, they can figure it out very quickly. And I'm not trying to uh, make fun of them, but it's sometimes just really funny. People study so much to be so confused. Now, we do want to study but we want to take God's word as God's word. There is no reason to doubt that Moses wrote the book of Leviticus because God gave it to him. So today we'll cover grain offering and peace offering. We have about half an hour, so we will do it rather quickly. Ryan, if I would ask you to read, would you be so kind to stand and read loud and clear so everybody can hear, not only here, but on the recording.
2: Of fine flour and of all its oil, with all the, all its frankincense, and the priest shall offer it up in smoke as a memorial portion on the altar, the offering and offering by fire and of soothing aroma to the Lord. The reminder of the grain offering belongs to, belongs to Aaron and his sons, a thing most holy of the offerings.
0: Thank you. So when we read in the scriptures the grain offering, also known as cereal offering, or sometimes maybe meal offering, uh, what do you remember?
1: We've been studying Genesis lately, and what I'm thinking of right now is that uh, Cain's offering, uh, not
0: acceptable. Genesis so, 4, Cain's offering was not acceptable. So what, uh,
1: what's the difference with this great
0: offering? Great question. When we will go into Genesis, start in Genesis, we'll answer. Uh, <laughs> I think the answer to Genesis 4 lies actually in the book of Hebrews 11, uh, where it. it the commentary on that uh, offering is, and I think in the first Peter, it really deals with the heart of the offer, not the offering in itself. Anyone, anybody else, when you hear or think about grain offering, what, what do you think I should have listened to Mr. May's better in Sunday school or... Uh, it's, it's very interesting as, as we think about, uh, so Annette just pointed out, this is the offering that comes from the ground. And as you think about grain, I know we we only see the word grain when we buy bread and we're like trying to see like a multi-grain, you know, seven grain, 39 grain, or Ezekiel, that is a bread, biblical bread. Um, uh, th- this is really our experience. And maybe some of you grew up in other parts of the United States where grain actually was, uh, ra- people would grow grain and harvest grain. Uh, any, of you, any of you had that experience? So you probably know that uh, in order for us to have a bread, we have to have a flour and to have a flour, the grain is actually um, is taken to the mill where it's crushed uh, and that's how the flower would come. Uh, so it, it, is, it is very interesting that in this specific offering, uh, something that linked to something very common, something that very tangible for people of Israel and very common even for us today. Just, just thinking about the centrality of bread in the Bible. Any passages you think when you think about bread, Bread of life, communion, communion. Thou, shalt not live by bread alone. thou shalt not live by bread alone, but definitely cannot live without bread. That's Deuteronomy, I believe, Deuteronomy 7. And Jesus would quote that verse in Matthew 4: manna. manna, the bread of, from heaven, okay, Lord's in Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Five thousand. Feeding uh, 5,000, just uh, he gave thanks, and he, uh, he gave and the disciples, really, it's multiplied of bread. When, when Adam was disciplined, what was the, the point of discipline in Genesis three He would earn bread by the sweat of his brow. So before Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they enjoyed various kinds of grains and produce and God would supply. After Genesis 3, they had to, he had to work and provide, and that became a point of pain. So one of the implications, really, when people would bring the offering, a grain offering, um, they would be, and maybe I should move on to the next slide, the occasion. So the word really for grain offering would be a gift or tribute to the Lord. It, it, it's a tribute given to somebody who is in a higher position. Uh, we read uh, this word that would be used, for example, in uh, 2 Samuel 8, 6, when David and Israelites, they would conquer Syrians and they would send a tribute. So they would be subject to Israelites and they would send a tribute uh, to, to the King David. Another occasion uh, for this offering would be to acknowledge that God is the source of provision. I think people of Israel, especially at Sinai, and then throughout their journey uh, before they entered the promised land, they would see God's provision every single day. It is the Lord who provides. He provides to them manna from, from heaven. Also, grain offering is a an opportunity uh, for the worshiper to honor the Lord from the first fruit. This is an acknowledgement that that we will recognize God's provision and we will honor him with, with the best that he gives. So what would be included in the elements of a grain offering? It would be a fine flour with oil and frankincense, or it would be baked or cooked cakes or wafers, it would be roasted or baked fresh Heads of grain. Uh, so, and it would be accompanied by salt, of the covenant, and one of the prohibition in a grain offering that they could not offer yeast or honey with a grain offering. <clears throat> so, f- so from the text that we've read, when the offerer would bring a, a grain offering, it's either fine flour with oil and frankincense, a priest. We'll take a portion, he'll mix the oil and the frankincense and will offer on the altar, I think, minute, next slide. Instruction to the offerer. So he would bring uh, to the place of worship, to the tabernacle, hand it over to the priests and then the priest uh, will take a portion of the offering and he will, uh, taken, this portion is called out as a memorial portion. Again, why a memorial portion? It's a portion to, rem- it's, a, it's, a, it's to remember. So when the, the offer, uh, the worshiper would come to offer a grain offering, it would be a, t- a portion taken to remember. Remember God's provision, God's care for, for Israelites. Uh, also a reminder that we still live in Genesis 3. We still, by the sweat of the brow, Uh, we eat our bread. Uh, So priest would take that uh, memorial portion, he would mix oil and frankincense, and really that portion would be offered on the altar. And the rest of the portion would be consumed by priests only. And that portion is called the most holy. So a few questions for us to, to think about. First, why yeast and honey had to be excluded from this grain offering. Okay.
2: Well, honey is actually a process, processed food processed within the bee. Okay. It's not, it's not directly the product of the, of the source.
0: Okay. So honey is a really processed food or process the result of the bee. In ancient Israel, they actually also would uh, gain gain honey from the dates. Um, For husbands, if you wanna take your wife on a date, go to Israel. Uh, There are plenty of dates there. Um, Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But the dates, they do grow everywhere in the land of Israel. And if you ever travel, it is, uh, especially in the fall season, uh, they just melt and they're absolutely sweet. So that's another uh, source for honey in ancient Israel. So east, it's uh, how many of you still bake bread at home? You don't have to show me your hands because I will ask if I could visit you, you know, I love fresh, <laughs> fresh baked bread. Um, but east does certain things. It changes certain things. So it's interesting. It, it, uh, f- when it comes to the first fruit offering, uh, the Lord allowed to bring a, p- a product of east and of honey. They were not allowed to be burnt on the altar, but they would be allowed to be brought as the offering. But specifically when it comes to worship to the Lord, the Lord uh, forbids clearly that uh, east and honey, they could not... Uh, be part of this grain offering, they could not be burned on altar. And because decay, corruption, fermentation process, there is a change that happens. On the other hand, the Lord specifically states that uh, every grain offering should be accompanied by the salt. So priests would offer salt together, salt of covenant. Why salt? Because you are the salt of the earth, light of the world. Well, what what does the salt do, does? What is the really purpose for the salt? It preserves, preserves, yes. So unlike yeast that changes, salt actually preserves. And really salt will signify in in that time, it's a sign of the permanent covenant, permanent relationship. It, It signifies both to the Lord and to the worshiper this God has established this covenant, he brought his people into relationship and this is permanent. So the grain uh, offering, it would be offered in the smoke and it will be offered on the bronze altar outside. What are the lessons we can learn from a grain offering. As we think about God's holiness and the acceptable worship. I'll put some lessons out there, but. Uh, I a question. Yes. It doesn't seem like a burnt grain would have a very soothing aroma. To us? Because, yeah. Yes, that's an excellent point because uh, the soothing aroma was not to us, it was to the Lord and it was mixed with uh, frankincense. So frankincense, it was actually, the rest of the grain offering would not be mixed with frankincense because you will not be able to be consumed, it will not be edible, but only the portion that would be offered would be mixed with frankincense. When we think about the memorial portion, we are also called to remember God's provision. Uh, I would like somebody to open Acts chapter 14 verses 16 and 17. John, would you be so kind to open 14? Acts 14 verses 16 and 17. Um, Mike, if you could open 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 13 and 14? Andrew? Andrew, can you open second Corinthians nine seven? And Shay, would you be able to open first Corinthians ten thirty one? So we'll get through those passages so we at least can have them ready. Okay, John, if you're ready, if you could read, please. So the apostle Paul uh, stops uh, the whole attempt of pagans to worship him and bring him sacrifice and he tells them that they need to worship not him or or Barnabas, but they need to worship God. Why? Well, because it is God who supplies uh, people, nations anywhere with providing them rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying their hearts with food and gladness. This is the common grace of God that is given really to all the nations. In Matthew um, Matthew 6, I believe, he, or Matthew 5, he sends rain upon good and evil. This is the common grace of God. And, and whenever we have an opportunity to interact with people, this is a starting point uh, or maybe you have an opportunity to have a meal with a non-believing, non-Christian, either family member or friend or you know, somebody you know. And maybe they're close to the gospel. They will not listen to you. But they will be open to, to your prayer for a meal. Well, pray the gospel. Recognize in your prayer, it is God who supplies this food. It is His hand who provides faithfully, even though we may be walking in blindness of our own sin, it is His good hand that supplies food and grants gladness to our hearts. We already have mentioned, give us this day our daily bread. It is a recognition of us as we pray before God, we recognize our interdependence on Him. First uh, Corinthians nine thirteen and fourteen.
1: Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directs those
0: who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. This is uh, one of the encouragements that Scripture gives us, as the church to support our pastors this is the right thing for us to do and this is really the, the we've seen that model in the book of Leviticus and that model that principle is applied to us as the new testament believers second uh, corinthians 9:7 as it is written he has distributed for you. he has given to the poor his righteousness and yours. F- is it second corinthians nine yep. seven? <laughs> and can you read the uh, Maybe verse oh, sorry, uh, Each one must give
1: as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under
0: compulsion, for God loves the cheerful giver. Cheerful giver. So you remember when people would bring an offering from their first fruit. Uh, it would be a time of celebration, a time of rejoicing. The Lord blessed them with a the harvest and they take the first and the best and they offer it to the Lord. Well, this is the instruction for us as we give to the Lord. Uh, the Lord calls us to give cheerfully, not under compu- compulsion. Uh, another lesson we learn is uh, consecration of the fruit of the labor. Just, just understanding that our work, uh, as we work in various places in this world, it is the act of worship to God. Uh, second, First Corinthians ten thirty one. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Thank you. It is very interesting that God takes pleasure in very little things and the big things in our life. We may call them mundane, daily, uh, but God elevates them. This, are the, this is the act of worship. We do not come to worship God on Sunday from 8.30 to 12.30. We come to worship God every single day. We live with the understanding that we are in his presence always. So this is just an example, uh, as we read through Leviticus, and I uh, recognize we're not gonna be able to, to cover verse by verse, But as you read through the Old Testament, you have an opportunity to think about the principles that are eternal. They revealed to us by God and they will be applicable also to us today. Any questions? Peace offering. Ryan, would you be so kind to read? So it will be two slides.
2: Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood around the altar. One more. on the loins, and, and the loaf of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons shall offer it up in smoke on the altar, on the burnt offering, which is on the wood, that is on the fire. It is an offering by fire of soothing
0: aroma to the Lord. Thank you. You will notice that I refer uh, to Leviticus and Leviticus 7, so from chapters one through five, the Lord gives instruction to the worshipers. And then uh, chapters six, seven, he will give an instruction to the priests. So as we uh, look, I'm trying to incorporate both sections uh, so we can kind of have a complete picture. Uh, it is also interesting that God repeats various details, he repeats them. Why? Because we have bad memories. memories. How many volumes of MacArthur Study Bible did every Jewish family have on their bookshelf? Okay, it's a multiple choice question. None, (laughs) one, or five? None. Okay, if you said none, you had the right answer. Uh, We are thinking about people who did not have access to uh, recording or to writing. So they would have one volume for their congregation, and that's about it. And that actually was true all the way through uh, printing press uh, uh, 1500s. That's when uh, the luxury of a copy of the scripture in your own hands uh, became available. Uh, But for the most of the time, uh, the scriptures were memorized. So God repeats them multiple times so people will remember and they will understand the important details that given for the purpose of worship. So when we think of peace offering, uh, peace offering is by far my favorite. Why? Well, we'll cover it why. First occasion, why peace offering would be offered. It would be either time of thanksgiving, uh, fulfilling the vows, so somebody made a promise and Lord blessed them, they kept their promise and they come in the response to fulfilling that promise, they bring the, the sacrifice. Or it's a free will offering. Um, so somebody would, they just desire to bless the Lord and they come to the temple and bring this peace offering. So it, it is, uh, somebody asked me a question uh, last week. Um, for the burnt offering, the instruction was for male animal. For the peace offering, it's either male or female. There is no particular um, as emphasis here. But in a burnt offering, a poor could bring a bird In the peace offering, bird is not part of the uh, options. So it's an animal from the herd or flock. Uh, Like in the burnt offering, in the peace offering, it's an animal that should be without defect. It should be perfect. And it is oftentimes would be offered together with a grain offering. So when, when somebody brings the peace offering, uh, first of all, the peace offering had to be brought uh, to a place of worship. And what we will see later on in the, in the history of Israel, they would offer the sacrifices anywhere but the place of worship. And especially when the kingdom will be divided, uh, Jeroboam I, he built uh, two altars One just about five miles north of Jerusalem in Bethel and one all the way to the top of Israel in Dan. And he placed two golden cats, just really going backwards on what God instructed them in Exodus. Um, So they will not, so Israelites would not come and worship in, in Jerusalem. But God is very particular. And regardless whether nation will be divided or united, The the place of worship still will be in Jerusalem. That's the set by God place for worship. The worshiper, when he would bring or she will bring an offering for peace offering, a person would lay the hand on the animal. Why? Why was the act of laying hand on the animal? Identification. Identification. I, I identify myself with this animal and then the animal is being slayed at the door of the tent of the meeting. One of the elements of this peace offering, the offerer will offer or will share the meal together with priests and actually will share the meal uh, of fellowship with either his family, his neighbors, Levites, so this is uh, the only offering where uh, somebody who would come to worship God, they may partake and eat this fellowship meal in the presence of the Lord. So if you think about David, when he writes many psalms, um, he, first his 10 years of life when he's called to serve Saul, he's really running away from Saul. For 10 years, how many times David was able to go into to the tabernacle? Yes, probably none. So just think about, uh, you, some of you can relate that you were depraved from the physical fellowship with the church for about a year during the, the COVID regime or time. Um, imagine you're depraved from the physical fellowship for 10 years. you would think, no wonder he wrote Psalms. Uh, but if you read his Psalms, like Psalm 23, uh, the way it ends, surely goodness and loving kindness of the Lord. And I don't remember it in English, by memory. But note, I, I just want you to think about the importance of peace offering. And when you read other uh, Psalms, the emphasis on being in the house of the Lord. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the desire of the worshiper. This is the most intimate fellowship you can ever experience with Yahweh is through peace offering. There is no other offering that can bring you closest to that fellowship with God. So we see that priests, they would serve as the mediators for this offering, and priests will take the blood of the slain animal. Again, um, even though it is a peace offering, this peace offering reminds us that it is a sin, and sin needs to be dealt with before the worshiper can truly have proper fellowship with God. That peace needs to be restored, and somebody needs to pay, in this case, the animal. So priests would remove fat in the inner organs of the animal and offer them the an altar. And then priests would receive uh, a breast and the right tie of the sacrifice. That would be specifically for priests. Uh, last week, Brother Ken, he pointed out that in the burnt offering, everything is burnt except blood. Um, and, and skin, yes. Yes. Um, it's interesting in the peace offering that the blood is applied to altar, but what blood signifies in the Old Testament? Life. life. So when uh, blood is collected, that means life is given. There is a substitute. Somebody else uh, give the life so somebody else can have the life. That's, that's the significance of, uh, of the, this uh, specific act. Now, peace offering does not come to us only with, uh, it comes also with warning, not only with a blessing. So what are some warnings for the peace offerings? God gives very clear instructions to both priests and to worshipers. First, if it's an offering of thanksgiving, it should be eaten the same day. If it is a, a votive or freewill offering, it can be eaten on day one and day two. So it's a, it's a two-day fellowship. Um, Now somebody who disregards those instructions, their offering is nullified and they become guilty. The iniquity is upon them. It is offense to the Lord. Uh, If somebody is unclean and comes and offers a peace offering, that person shall be cut off from among God's people. If somebody eats the fat of the animal, that person also shall be cut off from among God's people. And if, why? This is uh, one of the 316 verses that you probably will remember quickly. All fat belongs to the Lord. Uh, God takes very seriously and he instructs in, in Leviticus in, in the Old Testament that whatever people uh, slaughter animals and enjoy them for a get-together, they cannot eat fat. They can use it maybe for candles, for other purposes, but they cannot consume it. Uh, in the opening chapter of 1 Samuel, there is a description of one high priest by name Eli. What does it say about him? He, loved the fat.
1: He, loved the fat.
0: he was fat. It's not the comment of his lack of diet, but he, and we see the way he really dealt with his family, he did not follow Leviticus very clearly. The instruction that was given by God He was the representation, really the the highest representation of the entire Israel. And he didn't do that. And the consequence came. It's interesting during his ministry, it says that that the light was very, very dim in the nation of Israel's spiritual life. That God had to bring a kid, uh, maybe three year or four year old kid and speak through him and could not speak through the priest. Because the ministry was uh, full of sin, he would not restrain his sons. Uh, the way he they abused really not just people when they brought offerings, but they would be offense to God. And same thing with blood, uh, blood of the animal uh, cannot be consumed, uh, and anyone who does that would be cut off from his people. So this phrase being cut off from his people, what does it mean? I'm, I'm asking you all the questions that I have. I know you have this question too, and it's just like I hope you can answer it. But what does it mean? Is it uh, mean capital punishment from the or being excluded from the community? That's really what it means. Uh, now, if you think about, uh, in America, we don't experience that. I mean, we're kind of in the community, kind of not. I mean, we're a very individualistic society. And this is just a fact. This is not, not because I'm also American. So um, this is part of our human really American dream. I don't know if it's a dream. Now, if you think about uh, people of Israel, they lived as a community. If you cut off from the community, You left to survive and very possibly you're going to die. Think about being separated from the community while they are marching through the wilderness. You have absolutely no defense, you have no way to survive. So uh, being cut off, being removed from the community was a very serious punishment. So people, uh, God instructs when you come to fellowship with him You have to remember, you come to fellowship with holy God. You have to honor him and treat him as holy. And people who disregard it, they will pay the consequence. And we'll learn more about those consequences a little bit later in Leviticus. So what lessons do we learn from peace offering? Uh, I would like somebody to open Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Somebody on this side and read loud and clear for us. Somebody on this side, if you could open. Sage, could you open Colossians 1, 19 and 20? Um, Lance, can you open Romans 5, 1? Nate, uh, we'll ask you to read 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Dale, would you be able to read Acts two forty two? Okay. So as we think about peace offering and really the implication for us, again the lesson, God's acceptable worship. First, we need to recognize there is a broken relationship. So Isaiah 59. Who reads Isaiah
2: fifty-nine? Is
0: so So when we think about our fellowship with God, first we need to remember and acknowledge there is a broken relationship because of our sin and our iniquity. Uh, Col- Colossians 1, 20 and 20. First, in him to reconcile the, the We've book of Colossians it is Christ who is the mediator and by the blood of the cross God made peace through Christ he made peace with us Heading ahead of myself, Romans 5 1.
2: Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ.
0: The peace with God comes not because you will bring something to God, it is not because you're going to live a righteous life or you're going to pull yourself in all means of righteousness, but it comes by faith in Christ. Now fellowship with God, 1 John. Thank you. Uh, this passage is really loaded and provides for us many lessons for fellowship, and I'm just gonna run them quickly by us. Uh, because of the fellowship between Father and Son, knowing Christ, now we, we have a reason to rejoice because we have fellowship with God as well. Uh, fellowship with God motivates us to walk in light. Uh, provides the blessing of fellowship with one another. We cannot experience fellowship with one another if we have no fellowship with God. It is impossible. But it is interesting in in chapter 1, verse 7, John adds that when we walk in light, when we experience fellowship with one another, uh, he says, and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all our sins It necessitates ongoing cleansing. I know we occasionally do not want to be sin against or commit a sin, but when we are in active fellowship with one another in the life of the church, uh, there is a provision by God to keep, maintain that fellowship through the confession of sin and as we deal with sin. Now, uh, this fellowship is practiced in the community of faith, Acts 2.42. Is anybody supposed to read Acts 2.42? Dale. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Amen. This is exactly what we practice here. And undealt sin leads us to separation. So we, uh, we know this passage in Matthew 18, 15, and 20. So when we think about uh, both grain offering and peace offering, these are opportunities for us to worship God. It's a practical lessons as we take them from Leviticus and apply them really today. We have come to the time to pray. If you have any questions, please feel free to stop by after we pray and uh, we'll try to answer them next time. Father God, we're grateful that Christ is our peace and it is he and his blood as he gave his life, uh, he made that peace by atoning for our sins, covering our sins, and now by faith we have the righteousness of God and we can enjoy that eternal and everlasting fellowship with God and enjoy the fellowship with one another. I pray that we would treasure that fellowship and we would be active uh, and rejoice in that gift that you've given to us. May you be exalted on high. Amen.